This is The Cooldown with me, Phil Rockner, and the always interesting Steph Hansen. With thanks to Triathlete Magazine, let's have a conversation. So, decking the halls is over. We are through the Christmas break. Steph Hansen and Phil Rockner here on The Cooldown. Thanks to the wonderful folks at Triathlete Magazine. Make sure you get on board that. There's uh, many ways to interact with that lot. Uh, Steph, welcome and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you as well. I hope you had a good day. It's always fun with the with kids in the mix. Yeah, it, right. We're just saying off air. It, it, as soon as Christmas, you have kids. Your Christmases aren't yours anymore. Um, they, you're not doing really uber cool stuff. You're just being a bit of a dag. It's pretty good fun though, isn't it? Uh, getting the kids up. Now you've got a younger a younger one than me. Was yours mm. a magical setup? Um, and this, well, she's just gone three and. I think this is the first Christmas where she's truly got into it, like understanding that Santa comes and we did the whole cookies and the milk for Santa and the reindeers and everything. Um, But I've got to admit, and this will come as no surprise to anyone who knows me, is that I'm the biggest kid of a lot of us and I was probably more excited and got the least amount of sleep. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it was it was awesome. We got to Tassie, uh, which is where my family's from, and we were a little bit worried about trying to get here, but we did, and we we saw everybody we wanted to see uh, in the space of twenty four hours, which is crazy and tiring, but awesome and wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, nice. It certainly is. Uh, the last the week before Christmas it is on fast forward. You know, oh God! The clocks are spinning harder. I think. I mean, you lose all track of everything, and you know, you just you just don't even try. Oh, catch up before Christmas? Nah, unless you're talking in October, it's not going to happen. Yeah, and there's this crazy thing of you, you you want to try to, but it's okay. Everyone is still going to be there on January one. Correct. Do it then. We're good. We're Correct. good. Well, I, don't know, I don't know about you, but sorry, I don't know about you about being you know in the in the triathlon world, but. Do, do a lot of your presents sort of uh, centre around um, getting getting your kids active? Because a lot of our presents were, uh, including the the bike under the Christmas tree. Um, and I, I can actually hear, I'm at my mum's place at the moment, and I can hear Frankie in the background learning how to ride her first pedal bike. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. It, it is very cool. I do I do remember those days. My, my lot are a little bit older. Um, mm. But I do remember those days. They're, they're the funnest. And especially to, you know trying to build stuff on Christmas Eve and getting stuff done and, you know, having a few beers is all part of it. Um, yeah. And then looking at that one screw and going, I really don't know where that went. <laughs> Bung some duct tape on it. It'll be fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's still alive and kicking. We're good. Correct. And then these days too, I think I like the idea of the the active um, active kids and things like that. It's It's – you know, growing up as an old person, it's the the concept of screen time and everything else. It just it becomes, and you know, parents listening to this probably be nodding. Hopefully, it's just you know, the more you can get them out and off that, um, the better. And you know, we had years of giving surfboards and wetsuits and all sorts of water paraphernalia that you can get involved in. And it's um, yeah, it's it's a really good thing to do. I think we get too, he says on his little soapbox, we get too attached to the whole screen thing and. Oh man, come on! You know, let's get them outside. Yeah. And, and and particularly like the last eighteen months, two years. It, I mean, in our house, and I assume in a lot of other families' houses, there's been a lot of screen time for survival. It, you know, people are having to work at home and keep kids entertained. 
Um, and that's that's something that I'm really fo- trying to focus on over these, you know, couple of weeks off um, over the holiday season, just getting away from TVs and screens and doing our best to spend some time outside, uh, especially as a family as well. Um, probably a little bit easier in the Southern Hemisphere being summertime. Um, yeah. Not so sure <laughs> how easy it is uh, when you might be knee deep in snow, but uh yeah, it's definitely something that we're trying to do and enjoying every moment of it. And and don't don't you wish like kids kids are so motivated to do to do things. They just Frankie doesn't care if it's raining. She'll go out and do stuff. But if I have to go for a thirty minute jog in the rain, oh my gosh, to 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 build up the momentum to do that, that is tough. I wish I had either that either the motivation of a of a child or the motivation of my border collie. You could do anything if you had that. That's <laughs> so true. I was the master at swim training of adjusting goggles. So, <laughs> <laughs> out of all the out of all the the legs of the triathlon, I probably was the naturally the best. And I'm saying best that you, you know I'm I'm average at best. But I was the best. My my best leg was the swimming. You know, coming from a, a swimming background and living by the ocean, blah blah blah. I'd just sit on the side there, Steph, and and. <laughs> stuff around with my goggles while the warm-up was going on you know anything but to get in what a loser but geez I killed some time on the deck I tell you I love to chat in the mornings I love I like that the master of adjusting the goggles that's great I like it real solid operator I was in the pool Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure and I'm pretty sure the coaches were all on to it they're just like you know what let him go he's a child let him go so um, it's funny I was riding this morning um we rode a really nice little 70k loop out the back of the farmland where I was. Um, I was still finding new roads. It's fantastic. Um, and one of the guys in the in the bunch, he's in his, I reckon to be nearly 50, he's about to do his first Ironman. And the peppering of questions that I was getting. Um, <laughs> and this guy's a solid athlete. Like he surfs like Kelly Slater and he can run like the wind. But it's all new, you know, when you put this together. It's... um. It's funny, isn't it? You take for granted what you've done and, and you know, there are still new people coming into the sport and they and they just love it. They they want the information. And, of course, uh, I did refer him to the beautiful people at Triathlete Magazine. Um, but it's certainly, you know, God, what a, what a fun thing to be going through, especially at that age too, like when you're a bit older. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I remember when I first got into the sport, I was such a frother. Um, is that an Aussie thing? Yes. Oh, froth is an Aussie thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, like I vividly remember saying we were on a group ride and it was with this uh, athlete who'd been in the sport forever. And I was like, yeah, I want to do a 10.30 Ironman uh, at Ironman WA I was training for. And I'm like, yep, on paper, I'm good to go. And she's like, yep, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I didn't, I was nowhere near it. I think I, I passed out because of sunstroke. I went way too hard on the bike. And she's like, oh, yep, 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 cool, cool. <laughs> Let's have a chat when you get home. That's and great. it just, but I think I still wouldn't change it because you just, I don't know, like I was so keen, so eager and it's, um, wouldn't it be nice to do your first iron distance again? Oh, because you're an idiot, right? Like, yes, you don't know anything, right? Like I went okay my first iron distance race and, you know, I I had a good day and I, you know, and then I came back for the second one and all of a sudden I know everything, like some complete, you know, but it's interesting because I'm going to name drop here, but I think Chris McCormack was telling me one time 
that when people have a big result at Kona or at a big, big race, they change what they do rather than sticking to the formula. And that's no different to age groupers. As soon as you have a good race, your head starts to wobble a bit and you start to feel pretty good and there's a bit of swagger going on and you start to change what you do when you shouldn't, I don't Mm. think. Mm. That's so true. Yeah, I've heard other pros talk about a very similar thing. Um, and I think it was, I think it was Craig Alexander who had said, um, the hardest thing is going back to defend your title, uh, for that, for that very reason that you were speaking about is, you know, you've kind of, uh, not, not nailed it because we're always trying to perfect things obviously, but go back and replicate it without changing too much. It's this tiny tweaks as opposed to the, the massive changes that people fall into that trap of making. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and you can be a pro and you can alter what you do because all of a sudden you feel the pressure, I would have thought. Now, again, having zero experience about this, um, but I think you'd probably feel the fact that you'd have to be, you know, influencing the race versus more, mm. you know, more just, you know, doing what worked for you the previous year. So often if, you know, someone gets a high placing in Kona, that the theory is that they change what they're doing and, Possibly they should not. Um, and age groupers are the same though. Like they, they're constantly mucking around with things. But um, mm. it, it is a, you know, it's a fun time I would have thought to, as an old, someone with a bit more brains to be doing it as well. Like I did my first Ironman when I was probably 26 or seven or something like that, which is still, you know, not super young, but I was just an idiot then and I'm not much better now. But um, <laughs> I no idea what I was doing. You're just going, you're just going, you know, you're treating it like, an, I remember the first 40 Ks at Foster. It's like an Olympic distance race. Dudes are like <laughs> flying past me at 50 Ks now. I'm like, what's this? I better go and catch him. I'm like, you moron, because there's a long day, you know, like it really is a, you've got to have your head screwed on. And then I, that's the one thing, the one piece of advice, and, and I, I did say to this guy that, you know, and he's a good mate, and I just said, you know, you, you're not, there's too much advice out there, but the one piece of advice is find a source that you like and stick to yeah. that source that you think is going to work and just use that person or that coach or that whatever you, whatever you think. Don't get 27 opinions because imagine sitting at a coffee uh, in a coffee house or a cafe with a bunch of triathletes and asking their opinion on something. Good God. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. I think you're so... Yeah, I think that's a, that's some really good advice, uh, and it's certainly something that I noticed a lot over the years. Uh, being an age group athlete and you know hosting a media platform as well, is that people are always looking for those extra bits and pieces, and can certainly overcomplicate things instead of just sticking to something and sticking, committing to it for a while. I think, you know, we want, you know, we live in a society where we want everything now at our fingertips and things need to happen straight away. But if you don't commit to a certain way of training uh, for a period of time, you're never going to see those changes come into effect. Uh, If you're always changing it up, it will, you'll never see that those results and yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. And, and I think, um, I don't think, down, down the track in one of our future episodes, I think we're going to dive into, you know, technology being a big player in that game as well. And I'm really looking forward to that conversation. You know, we're always looking yeah. for the one percenters, but how, um, how much work are we doing on, on the basics? Yeah, yeah. It, it, remember the, the sort of the concept of free speed. That was massive a few yeah. years back. And everyone's like, oh, free speed, free speed. And you're like, all right, well, I mean... Yes, but how much of that is real and how much of that is, is you know, um, just 
sales hype and marketing and you know mm. what what value is is it to to do anything so yeah there certainly mm. is um a, an interesting conversation around that which we will get to in this series um mm. further down the track um even just the new um race ranger with the drafting and the new technology around that as well you know there's so many yeah. developments coming in and what's going to work and what's not which is a conversation for another day because we yes. are going to get to uh and and chat to the one and only Brad Culp who Around his around his house is known as one of the better triathlete uh, triathlon <laughs> uh, contributors and writers in the world, um, and I'm sure he's going to have a, a range of opinions. Looking forward to to getting into that. So we're going to take a quick break, and we are going to shoot across and chat to our man Brad Culp. So we've decided we wanted to get really good triathlon conversation started here on the on the cool down. So. We couldn't get who we wanted. We got Brad Culp, who, by his own admission, is one of the world's premier triathlon journalists. Brad, welcome to the uh, to the cool down, my friend. Yeah, thank you for such a warm intro, Phil. I appreciate it. <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, very, very sharp in this sport and has seen a lot from a lot of different angles, which is why that we uh, tapped you on the shoulder and said, uh, come along and, and have a conversation, Brad. Uh, for those who may not know you, uh, I've been living under a rock in the triathlon uh, conversation. You've been around a long time. You've worked for World Triathlon um, and you've also worked for Lava Magazine, Ironman. You've been a man around the traps. It's been a journey for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, um, I think I, I started with Triathlete Magazine in uh, 2005 as an intern um, and yeah, I've been stuck in this world ever since. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's been mostly a fun ride. I get to meet a lot of cool Australians like you guys. Um, so that's all good. And getting into world tri, like moving out of uh, into world triathlon into that sort of Olympic realm, what was that experience like for you? Oh, it was great. I mean, um, you know, I, I only worked for ITU for a year, I guess, world triathlon now, like I'll always call them ITU. Um, it was uh, it was a whirlwind year, um, uh, the schedule that, that um, both the athletes and the media team and anyone who's involved in World Triathlon goes through. Um, it is the hardest working group in the business. Um, it was a grind, but like it was, it was super cool. And just to see, um, I don't know, it's just giving me such respect for that kind of competition that I feel like so many people, especially in the U.S., don't. Um, you know, there's such an Ironman focus in the U.S. that, uh, to an extent. Um, draft legal racing gets lost and Olympic racing gets lost, but just to see the caliber of competition. And um, yeah, that was 2010. I worked for them and in the last 12 years, like I've always said, you know, that is the, that is the highest level of competition. I feel, you know, on a week to week basis on a, you know, maybe super league can say something about that for a few weeks a year, but um, but yeah, it is something else. Uh, The level of competition that you get to see week after week uh, traveling that tour, um, you know, Ironman can't touch that, you know, they've got big races like Kona and, you know, maybe Frankfurt or whatever, but, uh, but yeah, as far as the, uh, um, I don't know, the pinnacle of the sport, I, I've always felt like it was, it's world triathlon. It's, it's, uh, the Olympic stuff. Um, so that's still what, what gets me going. Um, obviously I love, you know, love Kona, love Ironman. Um, I even have a stupid tattoo on my back, but, uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I loved working for ITU and I'm really, uh, really thankful for that experience. Oh gosh, there's so much to unpack. The tattoo. This is brand new information to me. Oh shit, you didn't know that? I figured you did. <laughs> I did it. Really, 
All right, it's really small, and I I did my first Ironman oh, like three days after my 18th birthday because you have to be 18 to do it. So I did Ironman Wisconsin, like right after I turned 18, um, and just went to a tattoo shop there in Madison, like I don't, like literally from the finish line. I don't think I ate. Just got it. Got this little tiny end dot inked, and so many people have made fun of me over the years, and I deserve every ounce of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's there, especially when I worked for Ironman for like three years. Like I was an Ironman employee. And I had their brand tattooed on my back. It's like my dad worked for Sears for his entire career for like 40 years. It would be like him having the Sears logo tattooed on his back. Like that's how dumb it was. But, <laughs> yeah. When um, I was at Hewlett Packard, I wasn't thinking about the HP, mate. I'll be honest. Yeah, you didn't? Um, you should have. <laughs> I have to admit, I wanted to. I desperately wanted to get the, uh, the MDOT logo. And my coach talked me out of it. And he said exactly what you guys just said. If you worked for McDonald's, would you be getting the the golden arches? And I was like, yeah, cool. Yeah, got it. Yeah, you know, when you're 18, you do a lot of stupid stuff. I was, I mean, that was hardly the dumbest thing I did that year, so. Yeah. (laughs) In a year of living crazily. Mate, um, we've seen a huge shift, haven't we, in in triathlon. Steph and I were saying, I think, one of the earlier episodes of this one was, you know, the huge quantum shift that we're seeing. You cover it. You're in, immersed in it. You've seen it from um, a number of different levels, as we said. What's been the biggest thing you've seen change in, in the last couple of uh, seasons in, in the sport? Oh, man. I, uh, I mean, I think PTO has obviously been the biggest disruptor um, in just changing the sport at a professional level, which has needed to happen for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I think that... Yeah, if you're looking at the last two years, um, you know, in a vacuum, like that's that's been the story, especially with 2020 being the way it was with, you know, almost everything getting canceled um, and then coming on and being able to produce a couple of big races. Um, yeah, it's certainly, you know, I think that I would assume all three of us are on the same page with like, we don't know if PTO is going to work long term. And, you know, we obviously have our doubts, but um you know, what they've been able to do in the last two years, um, you know, to, to make an effort to elevate the professional side of the sport, um, which really has never been done. Um, that's been huge. And I think that's been the story of, of, you know, elevating athletes, like, especially like I look at Lucy Charles, who now has become like a pretty big superstar. Like I, I've got neighbors who are really into running, um, you know, don't know a clue about triathlon, but they know who Lucy Charles is. And, you know, I think after the Olympics and the last couple of months, they know who Christian Blumenfeld is and, um, I feel like PTO has been a good driver of just, um, of lifting those professional athletes. And, you know, at least for me, I have been so focused on the pro side of the sport for, um, for most of the time I've been covering it, that that's, you know, really what I've been, um, kind of focusing on the last couple of years and been most impressed with. And it's not to take anything away from uh, super league, which I absolutely love. Um, but yeah, PTO just, you know, with their funding and what they're able to do and, and, you know, obviously just a, a singular commitment to the pro side of the sport. Um, you know, that's a real opportunity to change things. Do you see it as, uh, and I think we are on the same page. I think Steph and I had this conversation. Where does it, like, where do they find the sustainability in this? That's, uh, is that what you're questioning as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like how, how do you monetize this on a level where you can keep, you know, these kind of, this kind of money going, like the, the prize purse they just paid out, you know, was pretty two 2.5 million. I, I don't even have the exact number. Um, but yeah, hundred thousand to Gustav, hundred thousand to Lucy. Um, those are big numbers and you need some serious sponsorship money coming in to support that kind of, um, 
you know, those kind of payouts. And um, I was a little relieved to see that the tour they re- that they announced was only three races. I was worried they're going to do like five or six or something, you know, really big. Um, so yeah, that'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, you know, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of smart people behind it and a lot of good, um, you know, a lot of good agencies that are helping them out that, that, you know, have helped market some niche sports before. Um, and I think there is a market for niche sports. Um, you know, it's something I've written a lot about, like I, um, I, a feature I wrote for a triathlete last month was, um, it started talking about how, uh, Frisbee golf, disc golf has blown up in the United States. Um, and there are people making millions of dollars a year playing disc golf. And like, if that can happen, like, why couldn't it happen for triathlon? Like I know triathlons really, you know, fumbled the ball in the past when they've, um, they've had a lot of, you know, big money sponsors and billionaire dollars coming into the sport. Um, but yeah, this time, at least for me, it feels very different. And I'm not saying it's going to work. I hope it works. I love what PTO is doing. I love a lot of the people at PTO. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, I, if, if I were betting on it, um, you know, I, I would give it a 50, 50 chance, but that's, that's pretty good. And they're definitely, um, I, I mean, at least for me, I am beyond, like, if you look back three, four years ago, you know, the jokes that we were probably cracking on Twitter about PTO, um, you know, they've actually done a pretty damn good job. Like I, I'm impressed. I, I would assume that you guys are impressed. I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Oh, I, I completely agree. And was it, it was PTU to begin with. Is that right? Yeah. Remind me. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I think we were all a little bit pessimistic about it all back then, but to see it evolve and I mean, I remember sitting at, I think it was Dubai, maybe Abu Dhabi and a bunch of the pro athletes going off to have their their meeting and it just seemed to have false start after false start and then finally it all, it all started to come together. Um, so yeah, I'm, I completely agree with you. I really hope that it continues, but obviously have questions about uh, where, where the money can continue to come from. Yeah. What we're saying is driving though. I think what we, you and again, I, I'm like you, Brad, I know a few of the people under the tent and I like what they're up to. Sustainability will happen or it won't, but what it will do is hopefully, you know, build everybody else up as well. You know, other, mm-hmm. other forms of the sport have to lift. And we saw that. And I, I'm with you as well. Like I think Super League was singly the best thing that we saw this year. Um, you know, alongside the Collins Cup and everything else. Um, but I think Super League, just getting that four-week block and getting the teams up and all that sort of stuff, I think they made a monumental shift um, in that in, in, and what they did. I think they, I think Macca finally got his window uh, yeah. to show the world what Super League could do. Um, and they got, obviously, I've been saying this for 100 years, get find the best athletes of anything. And you talk about Frisbee golf, and it's a damn shame because I can throw a disc very very well um there is hope for me yet um um but yeah you find the best people you're gonna watch it right like i'd watch frisbee golf because if the three best players in the world were going at it it's it's electric i've watched it like when you're watching the best in the world like it's you're like holy hell what it's amazing what these people can do and triathlon has so much of that and and to your point super league has probably done the best job of showcasing that and just like the the drama and the intensity and and you know, making it a TV package. And that's kind of where, mm. yeah, I don't know how PTO matches that, um, uh, you know, from a, a drama standpoint. Yeah. And it's, it's also to the fact that, um, you know, it's repeatable, 
right? That's the other thing that we, we really struggle with, you know, and, and world triathlon get it because there's shorter races and all that sort of stuff. And, and it's repeatable. Well, it's not repeatable. That's where Ironman is going to break down every time because it's not repeatable week in, week out. It's not going to be ATP or PGA or anything like that. And as we spoke about last week, Steph, we were talking about that magical 100 and 200 mm. that they're searching for the PTO and their numbers. Another distance to add to the raft of 400,000 different races and combinations you can do, but it's got to be repeatable. There's no good if you have it once a year. Like Kona every year is amazing, but it's once a year. Like you get that shot once a year, which means you know, what you're getting week to week is not what people are used to because we're, we're sort of ingrained for NFL, NBA, you know, in Australia here, AFL, you know, week in, week out of the best going after each other. I like that you started with the American sports. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I know we're not mentioning the Bears at the moment, mate, and that's okay. We've got hey, the Rams. Good, man. I, hey, I placed a bet this summer on the Rams to win the Super Bowl, so yes. they're my team this year, and I'm, I'm sticking with them. So. Yeah, I, to be fair, mate, I've been a long-suffering Rams supporter. Just the winning season is lovely, mate. I'll be on, honest with you. But in that, um, Steph, that that idea that we want to see this repeatable, we want to see this, you know, coming back time and time again, and opportunities build. Like we saw Ironman Western Australia the other day with the three women pros, and it was kind of like it was a shudder for me. It was a shudder. Yeah, and 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 just further to that, we totally appreciate that Western Australia is a country in of itself at the moment. <laughs> so there were reasons why the numbers were low, but. It, when things like that happen, it just it doesn't look great. The optics aren't great. No, n- not at all. It kind of reminded me of that, you know, of years ago, we used to see it all the time where you'd have five male professionals and, and three women and it would be, you know, spread out over vast distances and not that watchable at all. So, you know, creating those bigger events that PTO is doing when they're saying, okay, let's do three this year and five in the following. And that all makes sense to me. And Brad, I, I would imagine too that, you know, around the triathlon traps, in your circles, you'd be seeing that as well. That sort of people saying it's making sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, uh, I like the, the PTO distance, the Daytona distance, whatever. I figure we have to find a name and call it something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know, a pretty good equalizer. Like I remember going into Daytona, uh, last year, the, the PTO championship 2020, um, I thought the ITU guys were just going to kick the crap out of all the long course athletes and it was totally flipped. Um, and that's, I don't know, kind of a cool part about that distance is you don't really know, um, you know, so much depends on the course and, and the style of racing. Um, you know, it really doesn't have a huge advantage to one side or the other, um, unless you're Norwegian and then you just have an advantage to begin with. But, um, like, I, I don't know. I, I really like the distance. I, I think it is repeatable i think that those three races is good for next year i I imagine it looks like they're going to add one in asia um for i guess 2023 um but yeah i I think four races you know for that world tour uh, is sustainable and um yeah i i kind of i kind of like the distance and i'm definitely on board with that we'll see what they do with the production side of things but i think that the format um at least for next year looks pretty good Brad, I'd love to get your thoughts. Last, what you were talking about, um, you know, let's let's hope and say that the PTO is successful and they continue with this series year on year. Will we see the pros sort of lean towards uh, that racing, which is where the money's at, um, and then you know maybe it, the, maybe Kona as well? Um, 
and then we potentially see some of the other Ironman races as that sort of second tier professional level as a bit of a feeder system up to the PTO races. Yeah. yeah what do you I think? think on there. Um, I, you know, I think Kona will always, uh, I don't think that any of the Collins cup or anything PTO is doing is going to, um, you know, usurp Kona is the biggest race, um, in the long course scene. I think that'll always be Kona. And I think, hmm. um, the, the, the way that the sponsors care about that race is really telling. <laughs> like, it, it's unbelievable. Like I, I help a few athletes with sponsorship and, you know, I, I deal on the marketing side of this business a bit and it is so singularly focused on Kona, which is something like I have to like beat into people's heads to be like, no, you should actually care about the Olympics or like the Collins cup or something else. Um, mm. but right now, um, you know, a lot of it is just tradition and the way things have been. Um, and a lot of it is, I mean, it's just, it's the one race that you're guaranteed it's, it's, you know, it's got the timeline, it's got the history, it's got, um, it would take a lot to kind of push that away as the marquee event, even if, you know, their prize purse is, you know, if there are three or four races that have a bigger prize purse, um, you know, an athlete like, uh, like a Jan or Patrick Langer or, you know, the Norwegians going forward, um, they can probably get a lot more in sponsorship incentive from winning Kona than mm. even they can from, you know, winning the overall PTO title. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, yeah, that example of a feeder system is kind of perfect. Like the top athletes will do what they have to do to get to Kona so that they can compete for a world title in Kona and, and you know, that prestige, um, and whatever that minimum is that Ironman sets. And I'm sure it'll change if, uh, you know, they, they want to pull people away from those PTO races. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, that a lot of the regular Ironman races, like you guys mentioned, Ironman Western Australia, or like, you know, Ironman Wisconsin's in my backyard. Like you're, you're never going to see a top tier pro in one of those races. Um, you know, it's just not worth their time to go race for nine, 10 hours, um, for that kind of money when there's, you know, you can be saving yourself for the real money and, the year-end bonuses, which, um, you know, that has changed things so much, the way that athletes choose to race. Um, and, you know, we could get into how, you know, those are allocated in the point system, but um, that's definitely changing how athletes choose their schedule is, you know, what gives me the best chance to get a, a bonus at the end of the year now, um, which is great because that's, you know, how it works in real sports. <laughs> real not, sports. Yeah. Well, not the crap that's not a real sport, right. but that's how it works in golf and tennis. which is where it's all we know that's the blueprint they're using and i think you're right i think you know provincial races are just uh are great because they allow the age groups to get it done and and get their medal and and go down and get a a tattoo which is awesome um easy (laughs) but um it's it really is and that's and that's what the, the the provincial races are for and it's like anything it's like if you look at you know tennis pros wanting to come through and they play satellite tournaments and things like that at some point there's going to be a, a line drawn in the sand as to who can race these races the bigger ones and who can't and you've got to like all sports you know you got to quali- you got to qualify and you've got to meet a standard and that's where i think this is all heading eventually which is a great thing because then we're going to have real pros um better competition um they'll be looked after by a hopefully by an entity that's still surviving financially and still able to provide that monetary support um, and then you're right, Brad, that whole idea of it becoming, um, you know, a lot more, um, I guess, strong, like your Frisbee golf or like surfing has reinvigorated mm-hmm. uh, itself a few years back when they said, let's stop surfing at crappy breaks and let's actually get some 
proper um, infrastructure around it, it does work. And, yeah. you know, culling the amount of inverted commas pros, air quotes, I think you guys call them, you know, like culling the number of pros in the world probably would help as well. If you, you know, you've got to get a tour card literally each year. I like that idea about that uh, to get qualified to race. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, I'm, you know, I don't want to kill anyone's dreams, but um, yeah, calling the number of professional triathletes in the world would be a good thing. Cause it's, I don't know. I see a lot of, and sometimes it's justified, but a lot of times you have these invite rate, like, especially with Collins cup, like it's an invite race or with Daytona in 2020. And you have a lot of pros who, you know, are, are saying this isn't what PTO was about. And this, you know, it was supposed to, to support the whole, you know, long course ecosystem. Um, but it's not like, you know, professional golfers out there putting on big dollar tournaments for, for people who are actually amateurs. Like I have a cousin who's a professional golfer, quote unquote, um, in Indiana, but like, he's not getting invited to the masters and like, he understands, and he's not complaining that he's not getting invited to the masters. Cause he understands that. Yes. He's a quote unquote professional golfer, but like, you know, he has his place. So I don't know. I don't have a problem with races being invite only super small, like, like super league or like Collins cup, because like, like adding another 20 or 30 athletes to Collins cup, like that would have just diluted the race and, and, you know, made it terrible. Um, so like, that's how, yeah, I, I know that PTO likes to, you know, uh, really get on the golf and tennis train is that's their model. Um, and there's obviously triathlon has insane limitations when compared to those two sports. Um, but, but it is, it is a good model. Like they've done, done really well at the professional level and elevating the professional athletes because I don't know, golf kind of realizes that you're only as big as your, your pros like Tiger Woods is who made golf golf. Um, so you've got to elevate the Tiger Woods of, of your game. And that's, that's Jan Ferdino, that's Christian Blumenfeld, that's Lucy Charles, that's Danielle Reef, you know, that, um, so that's, that's what I've been most impressed about with PTO is that their commitment to really elevating those athletes. Cause then it just, you know, lifts the whole the entire sport. Um, and it could not work at all. And, you know, we could have a really funny podcast in five years when BTO <laughs> has blown up and Iron Man is, you know, their stock is in the pits and who knows, but yeah, it'll be a fun conversation. <laughs> but it's funny how you mentioned like, you know, wrecking someone's dreams. I mean, that's what pro sport is. Pro sport is about wrecking kids dreams. That's all it is. Right. Yeah, For exactly. Every- Every one kid who plays in the league of whatever choice, you know, where it be Premier League or NBA, whatever it is, there's 500,000 kids who don't. Your dreams are going to get shattered, kids. Okay. That's just going to happen. I think I you got to make your peace with that. That professional sports is not for everybody. Um, and the best, you know, the best example I can give is I'm the exact same age as Michael Phelps. Uh, like we're a couple of weeks apart. We both grew up being <laughs> butterflies in the United States. And until I was about 12 or 13, I was really good because I was really tall. And then I haven't grown since I was 13, literally. You guys have seen me, you know how short I am. I'm shorter than both of you. Um, but so I grew up, like there were a couple of like, we'd go to national level meets and I was a 12 year old competing against Michael Phelps. And you know, that's how you learn that, okay, this is not being the greatest. I'm not going to become the greatest swimmer of all time. This is not for me. There's nothing I can do in my power to become Michael Phelps. And, um, you know, yeah, that sounds horrible, but there's a lot of athletes who want to be Jan Ferdino or, you know, even something way less than Jan Ferdino. And I won't say a name because that'll get me in trouble, but <laughs> You know, yeah, being a professional triathlete is not for everyone. It really isn't. Um, 
you know, so chase your dreams, but if you fall short, don't go on Twitter and complain that you didn't, didn't get invited to Slovakia for a weekend because <laughs> All right. I'm going to get myself in trouble now. <laughs> oh, I love it. No, I think we've got PTO's um, new quote for the year. It's professional <laughs> triathletes. It's about ruining kids' dreams. Yeah. <laughs> professional yes. sport, ruining kids' dreams since the very beginning of age. I well, it, it lifts them up first and then it crushes them. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. False hope is always great. It is. It is. Hey, I grew up... I grew up in Chicago watching Michael Jordan. You know, I thought I could do anything. But oh, yeah. gosh. Here I am in my basement talking to you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> the pinnacle. You've reached it. Um, one thing that we've all done, which I, I wanted to sort of just move a little bit away from um, from that discussion, but, you know, we, we met in Kona, I reckon, Brad, at some point um, along our respective yep. um, careers. But... Kona's like, we, and we, we just talked a little bit earlier about missing Kona, but it's certainly, and Steph could talk to this as well, I reckon combined we'd have probably about 30 of them under the belt. It is a wild time, isn't it, Kona? And for those of you who've never been there and experienced the media aspect of it and the, um, you know, and what it's like to do and work in Kona um, versus going over there for a, you know, for a, a Mai Tai and a hang around at uh, Lava Java. Um, Brad, what's, you know, give us a couple, a little bit of your experience in Kona and, and, and paint a picture. And Steph, you can obviously jump in on this one as well, given your vast experience. Um, it really is media wise. It's a, it's a fascinating week. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely something I look forward to um, all year long. And then I don't know, by the time the race is over, I just can't wait to get off that Island. <laughs> um, but uh but yeah, it's, it's certainly changed over the years. And I think all three of us have probably been going, you know, around the same number of years. Um, and it, it's definitely gotten a lot, uh, I don't know, a bit more, not that it's super corporate, it's still so laid back and it's still cool to be at like a world championship event. That's like, I don't know, everyone respects the island so much and just the Hawaiian culture and just where you are. Like, I remember I, I used to write for uh, Lumina, the Japanese triathlon magazine. Oh, beautiful um, magazine. It is gorgeous. Yeah. 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 Hundred like, percent. Yeah. Super great paper stock. And, and I hope they're still going. Um, but, uh, but they used to show up. Um, I, I can't remember the editor's name, but him and his couple, and they, they were wearing like, like black suits. Like every year they would show up to Kona in black suits. And it was like the weirdest thing. And it took a couple of years of talking to them to be like, Hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but like no one wears a suit in Kona. Like it's not a thing. Like, um, it's just sort of that, like that laid back vibe of like, you're going to your biggest quote unquote event of the year, but you know, you're wearing board shorts and I probably don't have a shirt on half the week. I wear, you know, I got a Kobe Bryant jersey on or some, you know, it's just, it's a very laid back experience, but it's also super high intensity because like, there's no wasted time. Um, like most of, I mean, I'm sure you guys probably get there pretty early in the week and then you've only got so many days to interview athletes and to do you know, photograph bikes or whatever, whatever you're throwing together for whoever you're working for. Um, yeah, it's just like, I don't know, it's like 20 hour days that feel like five hour days. And then race day is incredible. Um, because that's like a, you know, that's a 24 hour day that feels like it goes by in four hours. Um, because you know, the racing is so intense and, um, I was really lucky for a long time when Ironman still liked me and, and let me go in their lead car and, and, um, actually let me drive oh, the wow. lead car. Yeah, I used to drive the lead car for a while, which is crazy. Um, but what yeah, was that was back like? when they—that was back when they had no clue what they're doing. This was way before, um, yeah, the the 
CEO and everything. Um, <laughs> hey, who I, I don't mind at all. And Ironman has done great things, but uh, it, uh, it was really cool seeing that race up close for so many years. I, I think there were probably, I don't know, seven or eight years in a row that I was in the lead car and, and following the front of the race. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it flies by. It's weird that like a, a, you know, a nine hour race can go by in what seems like, I don't know, a couple of hours because at that level, Kona is so intense. Um, but yeah, the from the media side, it's, uh, I don't know, it's changed a bit. Um, like I used to pass out beers to the athletes, uh, you know, at the press conference, the the five men and the five women who were there. Um, and it was super laid back. And I, I got told definitely don't do that a few years ago. Um, you, but, uh, I remember handing, getting a beer off you. Um, I remember getting one off you in the media center, a couple of you actually sitting oh, yeah. there. You, you gotta, on, at the end of a day like that, you got to unwind with a few beers. Um, but yeah, that got me in trouble with Iron Man a few times. Apparently there's no beer allowed in the press conference now, which seems crazy, you know, 10 years ago. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's a really, really crazy week. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I have any specific stories aside from, I don't know, drinking with you, Phil, or making fun of people with you stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really tiring week and you get, I don't know that I, I'm, I'm from the cold, you know, I, I'm not Australian like you guys. I, I don't love the heat. Uh, I just, I'm so worn at the end of that week and, and it's just a mix of the work and the weather and, and, um, yeah, it seems ridiculous complaining about the weather when we're not racing, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I ride my bike up and down a lead drive, like probably 40 miles a day, just chasing athletes and chasing people and going to the next, uh, you know, whatever sponsor has this going on. Um, it is a truly exhausting week. And then you have to drink with Phil at night. Mm -hmm. uh, Phil's a bigger guy, so he can handle his beer. So, you know, it, it makes for a long week. <laughs> it's oh, a lot that's... Such a, such a long week. I just quickly wanted to touch on the beer aspect. Kona Longboards, one of my favorite beers. Yeah. Yeah, it hey. is. It's one of my favorite lager beers for sure. Yeah. I, I buy it here. Um, they make it in LA here, so it's not quite the same. But, um, but yeah, great beer. Great beer. Far out. I know what you mean. Every minute counts in Kona. And you – I never really – had had a chance to relax or actually go uh, outside of the Queen K. I didn't really see much of the island other than you know that 180 k or 90 k's out and back on the Queen K and that that bit along Alihi Drive. I remember one year, and this is before everyone was doing video content. I was pulling together. We called it the Wahini Warriors, and mm -hmm. I would chase uh, professional women. I got out there early, a uh, couple of years, maybe two weeks early. And I would spend all day on my road bike um, chasing women. I, I got up one day, rode with Lizzie Blatchford for two hours, filming her and then interviewed her, rode out to um, Waikoloa, um, rode with Meredith Kessler, filmed her on the GoPro, interviewed her, and then caught up with Caroline Stefan, rode with her for two hours, interviewed her and came home. That was my day and I didn't eat. Or I was an absolute mess that day. It was, you had to be fit quite a few years ago to be a media rep in Kona. I, yeah. The last time I, I saw you in Kona, I remember riding my bike up. It, it was the start of the bike. Uh, you know, everyone had just gotten on the bike and you were, I think you were going up to Waikoloa and you're like, come on, let's go. And I'm like, no, mind. Like I'm not riding <laughs> there. Like, 
I'm going to stop halfway up to the airport. And for those of you who don't know, Waikolo, that's a ride from, I mean, Steph was, was, you know, going for legit bike rides while working. Uh, yeah. So I, I never made it quite up. I don't think I ever made it at the airport on race day on my bike um, because I was used to being in the, the nice air conditioned lead car. Yeah. Screw you, um, man. Yeah. I, I could never get a motorbike. Could never, I, any, I had to get on my bike to get any decent bike shots. I had to get on my bike and ride out past the airport. It's a bit of a bone of contention for me. It's I've I'm still bitter about it. I tweeted about it one year and then got in trouble by Iron Man. Because I, I was yeah, I know weird, right? But I was like, eight years. You guys are talking about you want to improve women, the coverage of women in triathlon, and here I am, and I cannot even get out to watch the biggest race that I've gotten myself to. And I cracked it. I, I know, <laughs> I know, know you did. Um, I got a motor on a couple of <laughs> couple of seasons. <laughs> Screw you too. <laughs> I, and I, you know, and Brad, you might, because you and I got out on the course, we can talk to this. Steph didn't get out on the course. Um, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm just winding you up now. Um, but I remember watching, I think it was Keenler the year he won. And yep. being on a moto and the motos guys, like the Californian highway patrol literally run the line that you go up and you, you, you get your moto and you go flying up the line, trying to take as many photos and film and whatever else you're doing at the time um, while they give you that direction. And they're real hard asses. But mm-hmm. um, I can remember too, following Keenley on the way back into town and, and the guy, my moto guy said, what do you want to do? I just said, man, just follow him for a while. I'm, just going to watch this and be a little bit of a fan here mm-hmm. um, when he was absolutely driving. And I think it was me and the SRAM guys, the um, service guys, just watching this guy destroy a field. It was, um, it was amazing. The, um, the also the just being on that course with the a motorbike rider who was about 150 kilos, which is like 300 pounds and him <laughs> saying to me, I wish I'd bought a bigger bike because of the crosswinds, you know, <laughs> was a bit hair raising as well you know you get to know him real well because it's i'm sitting there like a koala bear on this 300 pound bloke it was was an experience but brad um did you ever do any of the celebrity stuff you know when they really i man was really big into celebrities did you ever like did you talk to the gordon ramseys of the world did you get involved in that not uh almost not at like i i I pretty much made a point out of not doing that um Hmm. you know I fancy myself is focusing on the pro racing and I don't, um, yeah, I honestly feel like if I spend time, you know, covering some of that racing, I would be taking away from, you know, what, what I really want to be doing. Um, I cover a lot of PC racing. Um, you know, I've, I've become pretty close with Brent and Kyle Pease who finished it, um, in 2019. Um, so I try to cover that side of the sport because that's, you know, that and the pro racing are, are what, you know, inspires me and I think should be inspiring people. Um, that being said, um, I heard from a bunch of people, like I didn't talk to Gordon Ramsay at all the year that he raced. Um, and I heard a bunch of people say, you know, he's kind of an asshole, which is really on brand and, and great. Um, I do, I, I, the only person I follow on TikTok is Gordon Ramsay because he is an incredible chef and I make so much of his stuff and, and yeah, respect the hell out of the guy as a, as a chef, but I could not care less about him. Um, racing Kona. I, I do. So the year that he raced was the last year that I was um, fortunate enough to be in one of the lead cars. And I remember every time we would come by him, um, you know, he was always sitting up you know, on the hoods 
And as soon as we came by, he would get on the arrow bars and like his most arrow position to like look <laughs> because he wanted the pictures to look like he was, you know, really racing his triathlon bike. Where in reality, the entire time he was just sitting up on the brake hoods and, and chilling. Um, so that that was my only experience with Gordon Ramsay. Um, yeah, every t- we drove by him like thirty times because uh, you know we had a couple of people in the car who wanted to get pictures of him. And every time was the same thing. He was just sitting on the hoods and we pulled up and just immediately get in the air position and hammer and which is good. That's someone who knows, you know, knows PR and knows yeah. image and uh, that, that's a goddamn professional. So mad respect for him. Love following him on TikTok. It's like, I follow like four people on TikTok and he's one of them. So, um, but yeah, I could not care less about the celebrity racing at all. I completely agree with you. Same. Shot. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and it's but it's not that I I get it. I understand why yeah. celebrities are coming, but I'll leave that to generic media publications who are there just to follow them. Do you think? Cool. Get it out to the people who don't know triathlon. We're there for the triathletes. We're there for the pro triathletes. And it takes away from them. And that's why I just never really got into it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's well. I, I was the same. I think I, I avoided. I, I do know though. I think he, from what I understood though, he did come out and I think he made some crack about the lava fields and feeling all intimidated and stuff. And I think that kind of melted some people. But a lot of people were not happy because he didn't qualify. I think right. that got everyone out of shape too. Um, you know, the people who've been trying and trying to qualify for years felt really sort of a disservice to them um, that he got a, a golden ticket straight through and didn't really have to qualify anywhere. So I think. I think he was on the back foot from the start. Um, and I was like you too. I think I saw him probably once or twice. And he might have been the biggest name to race Kona. For sure. Um, yeah. I don't think there was any bigger names to – I mean, because the celebrities, again, weren't that big worldwide, whereas he is. Yeah. 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 I think he's without a doubt the, yeah, the biggest person to, to come and do that race. Yeah, it certainly is a time when you are in Kona. It's um, it's a hectic week. You go flat out for for hours on a day, and then you get very little rest. And it's uh, it's very much Groundhog Day because every day is the same. And you have, but what you do have though is you have, you know, virtually access to everybody. You know, um, and you can see that it's pretty funny. You know, you're walking down the the main street, and you can see Dave Scott and Mark Allen wandering around, or you see these legends of the sport wandering around, which is again a really cool thing that the sport in triathlon doesn't have a deep history, but certainly those were the men and, and women like Paul and Yubi, et cetera, who, who made the sport what it was um, and developed such a culture around that sport. You, those guys just walking around, it's it's pretty amazing when you when you see them. And I always felt like a bit of an intruder when I see them because, again, you have no access to them any other time of the year. And it's like have microphone, can talk. So, you know, standing around, hey, have you got five minutes, you know? Um, and I think um, they're very gracious with their time too, which is which is good. But I, but I don't reckon there's any triathlete who doesn't want to do an interview ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, especially not in Kona. Yeah, you're not bugging them at all. Um, I mean, the the one thing I've learned is is I try to bug the hell out of people. Like, I don't usually get it on Monday, so Tuesday and Wednesday, I'll I'll bug the hell out of the athletes I know I can bug the hell out of. Um, and Thursday, Friday, just try my best to leave them alone. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I've organized the bike count the last however many years. So that's kind of taken up my time on Friday. And if I need to see an athlete, you can always see them when they're checking in. Um, but yeah, I, I try to respect that, uh, that Thursday, Friday, I won't 
unless unless an athlete emails me back and says, "Hey, can we you know come to the house on Wednesday afternoon for an interview?" Um, then I'll do it. If not, I I really try to respect that. Um, you know, they're competing for a world championship. This is a huge deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as much as I'm trying to help them, you know, with with you know their brand and, and everything. Um, you know, they really need to focus at that point. Um, yeah, and it's definitely helped. Um, you know, seeing a couple of athletes up close, um, you know, in those final days, like, uh, you know, Heather Jackson has been a, a good friend for a long time. And, you know, just seeing how that focus shifts from like Monday of race week to like Wednesday or Thursday of race week. And, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it, it, they completely shift their attitude and, and you just see that focus and where they, they don't want to talk to anyone, not just media that, you know, it's, it's sponsors probably their spouse. It's just, it's time to focus. Um, and I love that. I love seeing that intensity and, and, you know, that's something I never want to, you know, overstep my bounds and say like, Hey, can we, you know, can we do a quick interview after you check in your bike on Friday or whatever? Like I, I just always try to keep that distance on the last couple of days before the race. Steph is the biggest waste of time in the history of triathlon journalism, the pre-race press conference. Oh, I was waiting, just sitting here waiting for it. Um, yeah. fact. And, I, um, it's, and I'm the same as you, Brad, and I'm sure Phil's the same. Those last couple of days, I back off completely. It's why each year I started going earlier and earlier and getting them out there uh, when they were super chill, doing their own thing. Um, and I think, it, I think the press conference, maybe the year after Sebi won, um, and they were stuck out there because they did the celebrities yeah. first. And then so the, it was... It was terrible. It was so bad. They had the best athletes, arguably the fittest athletes on the world, forget just triathlon, but the, you know, the best of the best in the world sitting out in the sun for 45 minutes while we talked to the celebrities. And it was just like, guys, and I think Sebi, because he had won the year before, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was very outspoken yeah. about it and, and brought it up in the press conference. And yep. you're right, the media have spent all this week asking all the questions, what what can we learn at a press conference that we haven't gone out and asked them ourselves? I know. I got embarrassed the last press conference I went to because I, I didn't get a chance to see Allie Brownlee all week. It was the first year he was racing. So the only he's only raced once, I think. Has he raced twice? Yeah. Uh, once yeah. All right, we'll, we'll fact check that in a minute. Yep. Um, <laughs> it's definitely the first year he was racing. Um and I had asked them, I didn't get to see him all week. And I asked them some stupid, no one was asking the questions. I, Steph, I was probably sitting next to you because we always sit next to each other. Yeah. Um, and I asked some stupid, like no one asked the question. So I'm like, hey, Allie, like, you know, are you going to be as aggressive, as aggressive in this race as you are? And I, some, I don't know, some bullshit. And he, he just cracked back at me. He's like, gee, no one's asked me that this week. And I'm like, come on, you son of a, and everyone had a good laugh at my expense. Um <laughs> So yeah, that goes to prove your point of what a complete waste of time the the pre race press conference is. Um, yeah, it's they need to run that a little better. Um, that's something they could take a page out of the ITU book. Um, I don't know if you guys have been. To, I'm sure you've been to some in in uh, especially like Malulaba or, or Sydney or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, World Triathlon does a pretty good job of the the press conferences. It's uh, they've always done a better job of that. Well, the Collins Cup too. I, I can remember a press conference yeah. where they went. They had like five dudes at the start, and they were. And I remember they were asking them about swimsuits, and they walked down the. the and they asked every single pro. 
I don't know who was running the show, but they asked every single pro the same question. Like the last person on the row after 10 athletes or nine athletes was Terenzo Bazone, who just said, I don't give a shit. I don't know. You know, he just he couldn't <laughs> care less. <laughs> he was over it. Paul Blake was just sitting in and he just said, I've got nothing more to add to this. Um, and I think everyone appreciated that. Um, but also too, with those, the presses, obviously the post one's fantastic, but the pre adds zero. It just, there's nothing yeah. to do. Um, and, yeah, you're right. It's just wheel spinning kind of uh, exercise. But what it does... And do it in the, the freaking air conditioning. Like, yeah. I don't know. It used to be air conditioned until like three years ago. They're like, let's do this outside and just make the athletes suffer 36 hours before they do this race. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 100%. Hey, moving forward, just before we let you go on your merry way, Brad, what are you looking forward to um, in next year? What What's something that's caught your attention or what are you sort of eyeing off? Oh, man. Um I don't want to gush on Super League too much because I feel like I've been doing that. Um, but yeah, I, I just a huge fan of, of what Super League is doing. Um, yeah, I and uh, I think the sub eight, sub seven project, um, especially with the with Christian and with Lucy, because I feel like they'll both be able to do it for sure. Um, you know, given the technology and the drafters they're going to have. Um, you know, I feel like if that's marketed well and right and, you know, Maca and those guys, obviously no marketing. Um, I feel like that could be a big thing for the sports. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm hopeful that that sub eight, sub seven uh, project, you know, can do for, not necessarily do what sub two did for marathoning, um, you know, and it made Kipchoge such a big name. But I, I think that um, that has big potential to do something different. Um and yeah, I'm just I'm looking forward to having two, uh, yeah, two Ironman World Championships. Um, I think mm. I think a Norwegian is going to win both, but I think it's going to be a different Norwegian at each would be my take. Um, and on the women's side, I think Lucy's just going to smash. But yeah, mm. that's yeah. what I have for next year. Love it. Yeah. Well, Steph, we're gonna we're gonna catch up in the new year very early on, and uh, we'll do our own setup on this one. But while we have the great man here, I thought it was good just to uh, get some uh, insight from what we're expecting from a man who has been around, as we said, a number of years. Brad, thank you for your time uh, today. Merry Christmas to you, and Happy New Year. Um, look forward to uh, catching up with your work, uh, both on the Twitter uh, and also in your various roles that you do around this sport. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Phil. And uh, th did you get your kids a new uh, bike or something? What are you here back there? Yeah. Yes. She's got, Frankie's got a new bike and that's, I got her a, a donut uh, bell, which is a mistake because all she wants to do is play with that and not actually learn how to pedal. So hot tip, if you get your kids a bike, take the bell off to begin with. I, I still owe Frankie a, a Chicago Cubs hat. Um, oh my gosh. Last time I saw her in Kona, she had a Yankees hat. Yes. So next time I see you, I will have a Cubs hat for Frankie, for sure. I love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that was the cool down brought to you by the beautiful people at Triathlete Magazine. We'll be back in a week's time. Thanks for listening wherever you are. Give us uh, a shout out. They'll write to us. You can find us on the tweeters at Steph Hansen and at Phil Ruckner. And Brad Culp as well is there with the, uh, the White Bird doing all good things social media wise. And we'll catch you guys in a week. Thanks, Steph. Thanks, team. Thanks for listening to The Cooldown. Make sure to check out all in the world of triathlon with Triathlete Magazine.